Good morning, church. Today we're going to be looking at the name of the Lord, the Lord, the one who makes holy. So how do we understand the holiness of God? And how do we explain it to other people? I think that trying to explain the holiness of God is similar to trying to explain to someone who's only experienced candlelight in a basement, trying to tell them what the power and the glory and the greatness of the sun outside when they've never been outside. I think it's similar to that. We have a lot, a lot to learn and to grow in our own understanding about the holiness of God, and certainly in trying to explain that to others. I want to talk a little bit about the sun for a second, that big star in the sky. It is composed of all the colors mixed together, which by the way, I don't know any of these facts. These were given to me by spacefacts.com, not really a science guy, but it's all the colors mixed together. It's composed of hydrogen and helium. It's 109 times wider than the Earth and 330 times, 330,000 times as wide, as massive. You can fit 1 million Earths into the sun. It gets up to 27 million degrees Fahrenheit, and it takes up about 99.86% of all the mass in the solar system. So the sun is massive, it's a consuming fire, it gives light, it enables life, but if you get too close to the sun, you get disintegrated. And with our God, thinking about the holiness of our God, he is big, bigger than we can imagine. He is a consuming fire, the Bible says. He gives light. He's, in him was the light of life. He enables life. But in our fallen state, if we get too close, we are destroyed. Today we're looking at the holy God that we worship. The main text for today is found in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. And we're also going to be looking extensively in Isaiah chapter 6 to parallel this passage. So Leviticus 20 verse 26 says this, You will be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Here's the main idea for the message today. The Holy One makes unholy people his own. The Holy One makes unholy people his own. So here's our roadmap. We have three points. First, we're going to look at our holy God, the Holy One. Secondly, we're going to look at unholy us. And then thirdly and finally, how he makes us his own. So first, the Holy One. The beginning of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26 says, You will be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. So we have to get a definition of holiness, of holy, and then we'll look at some descriptions of the holiness of God in scripture. So first, the definition for holy. What do we mean by the word? The word holy means set apart. It means other or unique. And holiness would mean otherness, separateness, uniqueness. It often describes the moral perfection of our God, un unique, unlike anyone we've ever encountered before. And the holiness of God isn't just an attribute for him. It's part of his essential nature. It's part of his being. When we worship our holy God, we worship him as the holy one, not just an attribute. Psalm 99 verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. We just read in Leviticus 20, For I the Lord am holy. It's repeated in 1 Peter 1 verse 16. It's written, You will be holy, for I am holy. It's part of his being. 
So definition, check. Now description. We look at a couple, there's a bunch of different passages we can look at. I'm going to give you two. The first one is from Moses, Moses' encounter with the Holy One, and then Isaiah, Isaiah's encounter with the Holy One. For Moses, it's the first time the word is used, the word holy, is used in Scripture. He's an 80-year-old man. He's been shepherding in the wilderness for 40 years, and then something happened, something out of the ordinary. And I think for many of us, we can get into the routine of the, the normalcy effect where we think everything's always going to be exactly the way it was before and nothing's going to change. But the same is true for us. One day, everything can change and can truly show us where our hope is. But for Moses, he's 80 years old, he's in the wilderness, he's shepherding, and he sees this bush, and this bush is on fire but it's not being consumed. And so he's rightly confused. And he starts to walk towards the bush when he hears this voice recorded in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. The Lord said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The Lord says to him, Take off your sandals. Don't get too close. You're standing on holy ground. And the reason the ground was holy is because the presence of God was there. Our holy God is what makes people, places, and things holy. It's because the Lord himself was speaking to him, was there. The divine presence made it holy. The powerful source of all life and beauty and goodness was speaking to Moses through that burning bush. The transcendent God appeared in supernatural fire. The same type of appearance we see when he speaks to the people, to the Israelites from Mount Sinai, as the whole mountain is consumed in this fire that made the people tremble and not want to get close. The transcendent God spoke through that bush. Our God is a consuming fire, he tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. Here's a second description we'll talk about, about the holiness of God. And it's from an encounter with Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, if you have a second, you can turn there in your Bible or read along. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. We have this encounter with Isaiah, with the Lord. It says the train of the Lord's robe filled the temple. And we know from John chapter 12, what Isaiah experienced was Jesus himself. His robe filled the temple. You think of a, a king with a long robe. This, this king, King Jesus, had a robe that filled the entire building of the heavenly temple, of the house, as it's called. The seraphim, the word means serpent. It also can be translated as burning ones. We have these angelic creatures, serpent-like, burning with six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, and with two, they flew. What boggles my mind is when I read Revelation chapter 22, where it says, we will see his face. These angelic, sinless creatures are covering their faces from the Holy One, and yet one day we will see his face. So you have the train of his robe filling the temple. You have these seraphim with their six wings flying around and crying out, holy, holy, holy. 
the emphasis is in the repetition. We see through scripture a number of times where a name is repeated twice. Abraham, Abraham. Lord, Lord. Samuel, Samuel, for example. Martha, Martha, like the Brady Bunch, but not the Brady Bunch. It's for emphasis. But when it's repeated three times, it gives the idea of limitless emphasis. The holiness of the God that they were worshiping and that we worship. It's repeated in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, when it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes, are around the throne. Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the voice of that holy God shook the heavens, and smoke, this imagery of fire once again, filled that heavenly temple as Isaiah encountered the holiness of God, the consuming fire that is our God. And how can we, who in a sense have only seen the dim light of candles in a basement, how can we prepare ourselves to encounter, to see what he saw, our holy, holy, holy God? The Holy One makes unholy people his own. So we talked a little bit about the Holy One. Now, how about making unholy people? We have to look at ourselves now. Unholy people. Leviticus 20, you will be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples. So he's the one that makes us holy. He's the one that makes us separate from the rest. If you ask a Christian, what makes you different from everybody else? In a sense, it's a, it's a trick question, because in one way you can answer that is, I'm not, we're not. We were not more special, we're not more moral than someone else to experience the transforming holiness of God in our lives, to be made more into the image of Jesus. We didn't earn that, we didn't deserve that, we didn't win that. It was won for us through Christ. What makes Christians better, in a sense, not us, but God, the one who makes us holy. We have to have a realistic picture of ourselves. We have to look through an unfiltered mirror. I think today we have a lot of chances to present our best foot, foot forward and to try to show ourselves in the best light, if you will. Um, we, have, we have apps that have filtered options, which I don't know a whole lot about, that you can change to make your face look better and get rid of that pimple, which I really had. Wish I had in high school to have those kind of uh, filters and such. We have to look at ourselves with an unfiltered mirror. And God's perfect presence prevents any kind of filters from really doing the trick. Look back at Isaiah 6, verses 5 through 7. It says, And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah didn't fully understand just how lost he was just how unclean he was, just how far, far short he fell from the glory of God. It took being in the presence of our holy God for him to understand just how unholy he was. He was no longer comparing himself, himself to the other people around him, to the other Jewish people, to the people in his neighborhood or the places where he played and worked. He now saw just how unholy he was. And it's going to take the same for us to stop comparing ourselves to other people and instead to hold up the unfiltered mirror of the Word of God, like Paul will talk about in Romans. The law is supposed to show us just how unholy we are. When we look at how lying and 
and cheating and stealing and envying and lusting and all these different things show us how we actually have fallen short of that kind of moral perfection, of the kind of holiness that God has called us to do. Jesus said, be holy, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when we see his law, when we see his commands, we see just how short we fall of the holiness of God. And it's supposed to, his word is supposed to be a mirror that, sh- that reveals that to us, that shows us that. I've never seen someone, it'd be kind of strange, imagine you walk into, you walk into one of the, your rooms in your house, and you see your sibling looking in the mirror, and you notice that they see some salad in their teeth. You know, they're looking in the mirror and they see some just salad right there, just gross right there in the teeth. And then you watch as your sibling takes the mirror off the wall and tries to use it as floss or as a toothpick or something. That would be strange. That's not the point. That's not the purpose of the mirror. The mirror shows you your condition. And as we, as we encounter our holy God, we encounter him through his word, through prayer, we see just how unholy we are. So what do we do? How do we fix that? Well, again, we can't, but he can. How are we made holy? And that leads us to the third point here. How does he make us his own? Leviticus chapter 20, look back at verse 26. You'll be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. How does he make us his? Well, let's look back at Isaiah 6 again. It talks first about a hot coal, and then we'll talk about how he was high and lifted up. So first, the hot coal. Isaiah 6, verses 5 through 7. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Imagine for a second you're in Isaiah's sandals, probably. And you're in the presence of God. And if that's not enough, you have this flying angelic creature with six wings, covering their faces and feet, and flying right towards you with a tong, this long pole, and at the end of it, there's this burning coal that he just took from the altar. And he's flying right towards you. And you are beginning to realize that he's not stopping, this angelic creature, and this creature's going right through your mouth with this burning coal. You probably, I'd be freaking out. I'd be yelling in a way that I wouldn't want anyone else to hear. And yet, when the burning coal touches the mouth of Isaiah, instead of him being destroyed or seriously injured like you probably thought would happen, instead of being destroyed, he's changed. This burning coal, after it touches his lips, it says, your guilt has been atoned for. It's been covered. He was forgiven. He was changed rather than destroyed. But again, what does this point to? How are we changed? How is our guilt atoned, covered for? And I think the key to that is in the beginning of Isaiah 6. It says, the Lord, high and lifted up. High and lifted up. That phrase, high and lifted up, is repeated three times in the book of Isaiah. The first one is right here in Isaiah chapter 6. The Lord, in all of his holiness and majesty and glory, is high and lifted up with the seraphim worshiping him, crying out day and night, holy, 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 with the train of his robe filling the temple, with his voice shaking the entire heavenly location. First time it's used right here in Isaiah 6. It's used again in Isaiah chapter 57, 
that describes the Lord, Yahweh, high and lifted up, yet choosing to dwell with the lowly. I want to read you that passage, Isaiah 57. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. You have in Isaiah 6, the, the Lord high and lifted up in all his holiness. You have in Isaiah 57, the Lord still in all his holiness in eternity, high and lifted up, yet who dwells with the lowly. But how does he do that? It tells us, because I skipped one, the middle one, Isaiah chapter 52, also speaks of one high and lifted up. It talks of this suffering servant, this figure who would suffer for the sins of his people, who would forgive the sins of many, who would experience who would experience suffering to the point and torture to the point where he would barely be recognizable as a human being anymore, who never opened his mouth but was led to the slaughter like a sheep, who suffered and died for his people, the suffering servant high and lifted up. That's how he makes us holy. The Holy One, Jesus, died in our place on the cross where he was high and lifted up. He, the spotless one, the pure Lamb of God, put on flesh, humbled himself, even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. He took on our sin in all its ugliness. The holy and spotless one jumped into the mud of our mistakes to make us clean, to atone for our guilt, to give us forgiveness, to make us holy, so that when we're in his presence, we're not destroyed, we're not torn apart, we're not undone, but instead we can see the face of our King, the face of our God, because of what Jesus accomplished for us, the suffering servant on the cross. Instead of being destroyed, we're welcomed home. And all we have to do, as the scripture says, is to believe that, to turn from our sins and believe in the one who died for us, Jesus, the King, the Holy One, the one who's utterly unique and perfect. If you remember at the beginning, we were talking about the Son, that big star out there, how it's composed of all the colors, how it's 109 times wider than the earth and 330,000 times as massive, that we can fit a, a thousand, is it a thousand? A million, a million earths inside of that sun, that it contains 99.86% of the mass of all the solar system, that the temperature of the sun can reach 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. But there's one fact I left out about the sun that I found. The sun is referred to as a yellow dwarf star, which almost sounds like we're picking fun at the sun for being small. Why do we do that? Because we've discovered other, other stars that are not just millions of times bigger than our sun, but billions. You see, when we begin to understand, when we think we begin to understand more about the holiness, the utter uniqueness of our perfect God, we've truly only begun to scratch the surface. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us even a little bit about your holiness, about your uniqueness. And Lord, thank you for making us holy through your work in us, Jesus, through your work, Holy Spirit, changing us more into the image of your Son. Father, may we more and more so learn about your 
uniqueness and be motivated, God, to follow after you as you change us more and more. Lord, we've only begun to understand, begun to scratch the surface of your holiness. May we be excited more and more to grow, to learn, to follow after you, and to be excited to one day see your face, not veiled, but welcomed, not destroyed, but home. Amen.